Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Happy Father's Day uh, once again, and uh, what an exciting day to celebrate. You know, I had uh, a privilege recently. I got to go to Playhouse Square and see the, the stage adaptation of the, the famous book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Anybody know that this was going on at Playhouse Square, To Kill a Mockingbird? It was incredible. It was a great play. I've seen a lot of musicals. I haven't seen many plays, but this one was really great. Um, and it centered all around one of the most beloved characters in all of American literature. Anybody know the name? Atticus Finch. Atticus Finch, you can see a picture of him, maybe we'll put that up on screen in a second. Yeah, what a guy. Atticus Finch sitting there, standing for what is right, a champion of justice. Um, he's just an incredible character, and, but there's a, there's a moment in this play that captured my attention, that really captured my heart, and was really beautiful. Atticus is at home with his kids, and they have a little friend that's with them for the summer by the name of Dill Harris, and Atticus gets caught with no one to protect him from Dill Harris, caught alone with Dill one moment. See, Dill was the ever-present friend to his children, but Dill liked to talk way too much. Anybody have a a friend or a a child that likes to just talk way too much? My child's four. They say the average four-year-old has like five minutes of silence a day, or he's turning four, sorry. Um, That's not long enough, right? Anybody have a kid or a, a friend that likes to talk too much? Atticus gets caught with little Dill here in this moment. And in particular, Dill would tell story after story. And story after story from Dill was about his dad. His dad. His dad who had the important job that kept him away. His dad who was important to the railroad and could never be around for some reason. Dill's stories, as he tells them throughout the play, they grow more fantastic and a little less believable. His stories about his dad. And although... Atticus dreaded this moment of being caught unaware and left alone with this little chatterbox. He decided to lean into the uncomfortable moment. And he had a realization. See, Dill had invented all these fanciful fictions about his father. Because the truth was, Dill didn't know his father at all. He had never had a father in his life. And Atticus has this realization moment. And he leans in and chooses to love on this kid. He realizes, he acknowledges the fatherless boy. And there's a powerful moment where no words are said. It's completely silent in the whole theater. And Atticus just pulls the child near and gives him a big hug. Shows what a father's heart is like in that moment. See, if you've read the book, maybe you've seen the movie with Gregory Peck from back in the day. Atticus Finch is usually described or shown as a stoic lawyer, kind of emotionless but virtuous Morals of steel. But in that moment in the play that captured my heart and my attention, it wasn't his morals of steel that were on display. It was his deep compassion and care. And maybe I'm just getting softer in my old age. Or maybe it's the truly special nature of a father's heart on display. Whenever I see a movie or a show that shows these kind of moments, I just about lose it. Anybody else with me in that? Any, anybody else out there that are like watching kids' movies and they're like, <laughs> no? Just me? All right. I, I can like fall apart at a Disney movie. It's pathetic. I don't know what's going on. I used to be able to hold it together, but that moment just wrecked me as I was sitting in the theater. You know, fatherhood, it's not an easy thing, is it? 
Any dads like, no, it was a breeze for me. Okay, liar. (laughs) Fatherhood isn't easy, but it's so holy. It's so important. It's such a special thing, and it's something that our world needs to see more of. Amen? I want us to look today for a few minutes at the challenge of fatherhood. I want us to dig into the responsibility that we have as fathers. And I want us to look at the promises of God for us as fathers as well. So today we're going to challenge, we're going to encourage, we're going to come alongside some dads. But first and foremost, I want to invite all the dads in the room to stand so we can honor you. Come on, stand up dads, where are you? Let's give them a round of applause today. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're incredible. And we're so thankful for each of you. Let's pray together and we're going to dig into the word. Father, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for fathers. Or thank you for your father heart. Lord, I love what the Psalms say about you, that you set the lonely in families, that you are a father to the fatherless. Lord, you embody this. You show this to us. Lord, would you teach us this morning what true fatherhood looks like again? Would you help us, Lord, to straightforwardly address the challenges, the responsibilities, and would you help us to once more invite you to come and bear the burden with us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So can we be honest this morning in church and just say that being a dad in 2022 isn't an easy task? I love what Steve Martin said. He said that a dad is a person who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. Right? Did I hear an amen to that? (laughs) I feel that. See, fatherhood, much like marriage in the first place, fatherhood will kill the self-centeredness within you. Right? It will kill off your your self-centered nature in you and me, dads. Being a dad means that you have to lay down your desires. Often you have to just lay down your basic needs even for others in your life. Sometimes you have to lay down your, rep- your reputation for your family, right? I mean, dads, nowadays, one of the things that you're supposed to learn how to do apparently is TikTok dances. And I know Zahar's not here this morning, but I'm calling you out if you're watching online because I have seen the videos and they're not great. <laughs> Actually, they're fantastic. There are so many things that you're supposed to know how to do as a dad in 2022 that, you know, 50 years ago were not on the resume. (laughs) Being a dad in 2022, it isn't easy. We still have that difficult task of juggling work and family and home every single day. But more than anything, one of the reasons it's not easy for us as dads is because we feel an, an overwhelming need to be perfect. Any other dad want to be honest today and say, you know, I feel that. I feel like the need to to be perfect, that all these tasks, all these hats that I have to wear, are there any perfectionist dads out there? Okay, there are no hands. I'm going to stop right here. (laughs) Dads, how many of you would say, I am my own harshest critic? I am my own harshest critic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me pass on some important advice that a very special dad named Brant always reminds me when I'm getting down on myself or when I'm struggling under the weight of things with my family. He says this, we strive for excellence, not perfection. Amen? Strive for excellence, not perfection, because there are no perfect dads. It's not about being perfect, but it is about being present. 
It is about being there. Amen? Like Atticus in that moment with Dill, he embodied a father's heart for that boy in a moment because he took the time. He didn't run away from it. He leaned into it. He was present. And that's what a father does. I realize, even as I'm saying this, that we instinctively know this as dads, but it's not easy because we do have a lot of hats we wear. We have a lot of things that are vying for our time, a lot of distractions. And oftentimes we get so exhausted by things that we just want to break as dads. So I just want to take a moment and make sure that we pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. And I want to take a moment and call out the voice of the enemy in your life today. Because we can get overwhelmed with all the things that we have on our our plate as dads. And those moments where we feel maybe like we're struggling, you have an enemy that wants to come alongside you and whisper lies in your ears and make you feel worse than you are. He wants to say, yeah, you are a failure. Can we be real about the fact that we have an enemy? And as dads, we need to recognize that voice because we're already our own harshest critic, right? We don't need to give permission for the enemy to speak lies into our lives in those moments. He wants to bury you in self-condemnation. But when we read the scripture, yes, we have a lot of important roles as dad. But that's not Jesus' voice that comes along and says, yeah, you're, you're not doing well enough. That's not his voice. Let me encourage you today, dads. Jesus wants to be right beside you to help you bear the burden. And he wants to tell you how proud he is of you. Let me encourage you today, none of us are perfect dads. There isn't a perfect dad here, but you are the right father for your children. You are the right dad for the moment. And as you keep giving your all for your family, God promises to come alongside and make all the difference. It's not about being perfect. It's about being present. It's about every day choosing to honor the Lord in this way. Amen? You know, we're getting set to study 1 Corinthians starting next week. And I want us to note something that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this in Corinthians 4.15, even if you've had 10,000 guardians or some versions say 10,000 teachers in the faith, you do not have many fathers. You do not have many fathers. Some translations say teachers. Some translations say guardians. But Paul is making a distinction here between a teacher or a guardian and a father. So what's the difference? What is he pointing to? What's he pointing out? Well, he's drawing on an idea in Roman households where they would have guardians that are responsible to get children in the household from point A to point B to direct them or guide them. Now, the reality is we all have plenty of teachers and guardians in our lives, right? If you want to learn how to cook... There are 42 million YouTubers ready to give you a tutorial. we got a lot of things to teach us stuff nowadays, right? We've got more information than we can handle. That's not what we need. And if you want to get from point A to point B, if that's simply the, uh, the job description, we've got Uber for that kind of thing now, right? But a father, Paul's saying a father does something else for us. A father is something else, something that we need on a different kind of level. So I want us to look at Three distinct things that make a father different than just a guardian, okay? Number one is this, deeper responsibility. A father is marked by a deeper responsibility. A father is more than just a a person who teaches us or guides us or imparts wisdom or passes on family values. A father is responsible for the entirety of our children's lives, 
There is a whole life responsibility. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. I want to look at the famous parable of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. The parable of the farmer who scatters seed together. We're going to begin in verse 1. and says this. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. He sat on the boat while all the people remained on the shore, and he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, he said. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as what had been planted. Now we're going to skip down because he gets into it a little bit here with his disciples, but he gives them the meaning, the interpretation, starting in verse 14. He says this. This is what it means. The farmer, he plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed is the word. And the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Then there's the seed that fell amongst the thorns, representing others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. It's a great story that Jesus tells, an incredible, incredible one. One that we all should be reading and considering every day to say, what soil is my heart like in this moment, right? He says that the word of God is that seed powerful seed, indestructible seed that can can transform our lives completely. But the place where the word is to be received and do its work, that soil is the focus of Jesus's parable. It's what he focuses on. That soil represents the condition of our hearts. What's our heart look like? Is it ready for the seed of God's word? But I want to suggest to you today That this isn't just about our individual hearts, that soil. I mean, this parable definitely speaks to us about the soil of each of our individual hearts, but I believe there's more to it than that. You see, we tend to read everything in Scripture through a, a very inherited lens of individualism. Individualism, right? We live in a very individualistic society, so when we go to the Word, we tend to only focus on what it says to me, about me, my preferences, my desires, my personal relationship with Jesus. But Jesus is speaking to a group of people here who are absolutely steeped in a community-first worldview, a family-first worldview. 
And when they hear this, they're not just processing this through the lens of me and mine. They're processing it through a family-first mentality. So I want to suggest something about this parable today. I want to suggest that our homes are also a field for us, dads, moms and dads. Our homes are a field as well. And as fathers, we are responsible for the soil of our homes. We need to be asking If God is sowing his word into my house, amongst my family, my children, and me, is the word getting through in my home? Am I tending the soil, preparing the soil for what God wants to do in my home? We're instructed in the Bible to bring the word into our families. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, We are to train up our children in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. There's instructions to us as husbands, as fathers, to make sure that we bring the word of God, the teachings of God, raise up our children, our families in this way. So let me just say this to you. Don't leave it to a teacher to teach your children everything. Right? Don't leave it to the internet to shape and disciple your children. Don't leave it to your pastor. Be invested. Fathers, this is our business to care for the soil of our homes, to make space for God's word and his move in our lives. This is our responsibility. There is a deeper responsibility on fathers. It's a deep responsibility. And I want to say this as well. Fathers in the church, you might be empty nesters. You might be grandfathers in the church. We are collectively responsible to raise up the next generation in the word in this family. Amen? We have a responsibility to each other to raise up little ones like we celebrated this morning and say, we will take care of the soil in all of our homes as well as a community. Amen? There is a deep responsibility that a father carries. A guardian doesn't have that level of responsibility. They have a simple responsibility to get the kid from point A to point B. A dad has a different level of responsibility. So how do we do this? How do we step into and and bear this responsibility? How do we execute this calling from God? Well, that's the second thing, that how. A father is also marked by a deeper process, a deeper process. It's not a simple transaction with your kids being a dad, is it? It's an ongoing thing. Being a dad is, it's moment by moment, it's day by day, hour by hour, it's life on life. It's a deep process. You know, you don't get to take a vacation from being a dad. You don't get to check out and become aloof for a while. Being a dad requires constant vigilance, deeper focus, a different level of attentiveness to our our families and our children. It takes a serious commitment on our part, our time, especially in a time when we have so many distractions, so many other things that could, you know, compete for our time and our energy. It takes a level of commitment to our families and our homes. I want to ask you today, in this parable Jesus is telling, what's up with the thorns? What's up with the thorns that he points out, that that kind of come in? I want to focus for a second on this thorny soil, of all the different types of soil that Jesus points out. He explains it like this, some of the seed that falls on soil, but that soil is pretty much already spoken for. He says that the seed lands there, And it gets crowded out. Crowded. I want to challenge us today. As we look at our homes, 
we need to ask ourselves a really honest question today and just say, is it crowded in my house? Is it crowded in my home? As the Lord is wanting to do something in my family, as he wants to be first priority in my home and in my family life, how crowded is it? How much competition is there for our attention as a family? Is it crowded in our homes? So, you know, I look across our world today and it seems like every moment of our time and every tiny bit of our attention is spoken for. Right? And if it's not, we get like phantom buzz syndrome from our iPhones now. We're like, did that, did that buzz? Oh, oh no, nothing. Hang on a second, let me just go and check this out now while I'm here, right? We're programmed that there would never be a moment where our eyeballs are not consuming something. Our time is spoken for. How crowded is your heart? How crowded is your home? How many thorns are going on there? I think it's so easy nowadays, like the default mode in our world is to live crowded lives and to allow and to have crowded homes as well. Jesus points out that there are sort of two kinds of things that crowd us out, two kinds of thorns here in our hearts and in our homes. He says, number one, it's the worries of this life. Those things that keep us anxious, they keep us up at night, the things that we go, I just don't know how this is going to happen. We all have those. Those are real things. And also, he says, there's this allure to what we want, the, the wealth of the world, the things that we desire, our hopes and dreams for the future. You know, those can crowd out our hearts as well. What Jesus is saying is, it could be good things, it could be bad things. But he's bringing out a question in this moment, saying, you know, what are we allowing to take up the space and the soil in our hearts and in our homes? Let me just say that again. It could be good things in your home, in your family schedule. It could be bad things. It could be things you can't foresee. But the question is one of what is priority in your home? What are you making space for? Look, I don't exactly have a green thumb. Any of you who have been around for the workday in the past few years can attest to this. But we got a plot this year at our community garden, Lara and I. We figured it'd be a great thing for the kids. And, and Lara gave me a specific job to go before we plant anything and to check out what that plot looks like. What kind of state is it in? Is it like an eight by eight kind of deal? And I was given the task of getting the soil ready. Okay. When I arrived, this little eight by eight plot was absolutely covered in weeds. Okay. So I'm like, uh. All right, here we go. And you just dig in, right? Particularly, it had a lot of thistles. How many of you guys love thistles? Where's our gardeners at? You like dealing with the thistles? Those are the very worst. They're the ones that look like a normal weed, but when you get closer, they've got thorns all over them. They've got spikes that seem to penetrate. No matter what kind of gloves you have, they will find you, and then they'll bother you for like a week, okay? I hate those things. There were thistles all over our little garden plot. I am not the world's best gardener, but I know... And I do in that moment that if I didn't get rid of all that stuff, there was no way our little family garden this year was going to be any kind of success, right? If you don't prepare that soil, it doesn't matter what you plant. It's not going to go well. So what do you do? Well, you have to roll up your sleeves, right? You have to continually pull the weeds because it's not enough to get rid of those thistles one time, is it? you got to visit that garden sometimes daily, you know, and pull those weeds out. You have to keep at it. Keep watching. It's a deep process, getting rid of the weeds, getting rid of the thorns. It takes our time, it takes our energy, it takes our attention. So it is with the soil of our homes. 
dads. In our homes, there are a lot of thorns that want to come in and crowd out the word. And it's a deep process that we need to have continuously to make space for God's word primary in our lives and in our homes. Amen? It's not a one-time conversation that you have with your kids, right? Sometimes we think about it. Sometimes dads, we dread that. Like, you have to have the sex talk with your kids, right? Trust me, that's not a one-time conversation in 2022. Can I get an amen to that? It's not enough to have one-off conversations. It's not enough to to take a one-size-fits-all approach to your children. We're called and committed to a lifelong process, tending the soil of our homes. That's what marks a father, a true father. And it starts with some honest reflection. Starts with some honest reflection. We need to ask, we need to be okay with looking ourselves in the mirror and asking some honest questions, right? We need to ask, you know, what is first in my life, Dad? What is first in my life? What's first in my home? What's our first priority as a family? We need to say, what thorns exist in the soil of my home? What is it in my family that's trying to crowd out space for God, space for what God wants to see happen in my home? I want us to camp out here for a minute, and I want to give a very clear challenge today for us as dads in the room. And I don't really make any apology for it, because my my belief is this. I believe this with all my heart. If we will hear what God calls us to as dads, if we don't harden our hearts or shy away from the challenge of being a dad, I believe that what's waiting on the other side is totally worth it. It's totally worth it. I believe it's totally worth inviting us to do some soul searching today, fearlessly. So what do we do? I want to ask about our time and our commitments. If we take a look at our schedule each week, if we take a look at what our eyeballs go to, if we take a look at what all of our time gets sucked up and our energy goes to, what does that say to me about my priorities? What does that say to you about what's first in your life? Are we prioritizing the word of God in our lives? Are we prioritizing community with other believers? Just being honest today, if we look at what happened in 2020 with the pandemic setting in, everybody's schedule went out the window, right? All of our commitments were postponed. We had a blank slate to work with. What went back on the blank slate first in your schedule? As a pastor... I think church became far less of a priority for people. I think a lot of things got in the way. I think there's a lot of thorns in the soil of our lives. Bible study, life groups, things like this, being around other believers, committing to the things of God, outreach. These became the last things back on the agenda sometimes instead of the first. Dads, in the lives of our kids and our family, we have to recognize that there are endless amount of things clamoring to be on our agenda each week as a family. There are 40,000 extracurriculars available to every child today. And yeah, you'll probably be judged if your child doesn't grow up to become the next LeBron James or the next Cristiano Ronaldo, but what is the first priority for your family? Are our actions, our habits, our schedules, weekly routines, are they in alignment with what we say is our priority as a family? If we say, We're committed to Jesus first and foremost. Does our schedule say the same thing? I've been reading in the book of Kings, uh, just personally, and I realize, you know, this thing that Jesus is putting his finger on with the thorns, 
It really is an ancient reminder. It's an ancient reminder of the way that we as human beings tend to turn our gaze away from God quite easily to other things. Good things and bad things get our attention very easily. And God has been hammering away at this with people from the very beginning. Kings addresses this using some old school language that we don't hear as often in church, but maybe we need to hear some more. It uses the language of idolatry, idols. What does that mean? Am I allowed to talk about this on Father's Day? Okay, all right, well, all right, I got permission now. A simple definition of an idol could be this. It's something in your life that is not God that you give your worship to, your time, your attention, your attention and your adoration to as if it were God. Something that we give our time and attention to that is not God, that kind of gets in God's place in our lives. You know, the first two commandments that we see in Exodus are all about this, right? You'll have no other gods before me, and you won't make idols for yourself. Now, we don't make idols out of clay or bronze anymore, but I would argue that in 2022, we have far more idols available to us, and we have far more idols continuously knocking on the doors of our hearts, usually through some sort of device. And over and over again in the book of Kings, we see the people come to God and turn from God. Come to God and turn from God. Anybody read the book of Kings lately? It can be pretty exhausting to read those endless cycles, okay? The whole story is summed up and measured by whether or not they're allowing other things to take preeminence in their lives, whether their attention is on all the thorns and all the, the good and bad things are sucking up all their time and focus. And every king that's mentioned in the book of Kings is deemed a good king or a bad king based pretty much on this alone. What do they do with idols? What do they do with the distractions, the other things that want to take God's place in priority list on their lives? And in particular, what struck me as I was reading this time was two kings that I absolutely love their stories in the book of Kings. King Hezekiah and King Jehoshaphat. And if you know anything about their stories, their stories are really, really similar. They both experience these unpredictable, miraculous, had-to-be-God moments where they're completely surrounded by a foreign enemy that is way too strong for them, and God intervenes and saves the day. Both kings experience this. And both of these kings are referred to as good kings in Scripture. But the book of Kings makes a distinction between them. It makes a, a difference between Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat. One of them, it says, is a good king, but not a great king. There's a difference between good and great in the story. See, King Jehoshaphat, he loved God on a personal level. He looked to God, especially when he was in those tough moments. But he didn't eliminate idols in the land. He didn't clear the thorns from his people in his home. He didn't take a stand and say, for us, it's God alone. God first, God only. Hezekiah is described differently. In 2 Kings 18, 3 and 4, it says this of Hezekiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, this isn't David's son, literally. But he, the, the author's making the point here. This is like a David. His level of heart contribution and soul focus on God was like David's. It says he removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made because the Israelites had been burning incense and worshiping that thing as well. 
He was like another David. He was going to let nothing else take God's place in what God had given him authority over. Now, I want us to see the difference here from good to great, because I think it offers an invitation to us, particularly us as dads today. See, God had Jehoshaphat's eyes. God had Jehoshaphat's eyes, but he had Hezekiah's heart. Wholehearted commitment is what you see that says, no, 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 for us, for me and my house, it's going to be Jesus and Jesus alone. Jehoshaphat looked to God personally, but Hezekiah, he went on a whirlwind tour of the whole country and everything that God had entrusted to him, that soil that God had given to him, and he made sure that there was nothing, nothing, nothing that was going to compete with God for first priority in the land. There's a difference there. That's what a father does. That's what a true father does. Jehoshaphat, you could say, was more like a guardian in many ways, but Hezekiah was a great father to his people. Amen? Amen. Now, it's not easy to go on this deep process that we need to embrace as dads. It definitely won't make you popular. Probably won't make you popular with your kids all the time or the parents of your kids' friends. It's a costly work to make sure that the soil of our home is not crowded by anything, that it's ready for what God wants, that there are no other priorities that take God's place in our homes, fathers. Towards the end of his life, the Apostle John, he writes the letter of 1 John, and it's a beautiful letter. It's written so tenderheartedly. He's older, and he's got all these churches that he loves, and he just, he considers them his children, and he keeps telling them, my dear children this, my dear children that. It's such a fatherly letter, the letter of 1 John. But his last thought, as he sums up his heart for these people, it's not a, a warm goodbye, but an important call to all those who follow Jesus. He says this in 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. So idolatry is not just an Old Testament thing. Idolatry exists probably more than ever today. We need to hear that again from a father's heart. Keep ourselves from idols. And then he drops the mic. There's nothing, there's no other words in that letter. That's it. He says no more. This is my last point. Keep yourself from idols. Now, what I'm not saying is that God doesn't ever want you to have a hobby. God doesn't ever want you to have any other interests. But in our world that clamors for our eyeballs every single second, the important thing that we have to keep asking dads is this. What has my primary focus? What is the first priority of my home? What is non-negotiable on our schedule? Amen? Does anything draw my gaze, my time, my energy more than the God of the universe? Am I making space in my home for anything more than him? See, this could be good things or bad things, but our lives can so easily become crowded by thorns, things that have our attention, things that choke out what God wants to do in our homes. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about this? We need to take honest reflection first and foremost. Take inventory of your schedule. Take inventory of your life. See what exists in the soil of your home. And then I would suggest that we take the Joshua approach. See, before Israel got swept up into all these cycles of idolatry that we read about in Kings, Joshua challenged them with this thought. And I'll read it to you in Joshua chapter 24. 
He says this to them in verse 14 and 15 of Joshua 24. His parting instructions as well says this. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's Joshua saying to the people? He's saying there's going to be all kinds of options out there for you. There's going to be lots of things that you could give your time and your energy to, that you could let be priority in your home. They're never going to stop knocking. So recognize that, but choose today. What's first priority? What's getting your attention? You know, as we read in Kings, as their affections turn aside over and over again, eventually it leads them completely away from God, and they literally become captives to those things. You know, what that means is, What's happening inside us in our hearts, it eventually controls what happens in our day-to-day. It controls and it shapes our outer world eventually. The same is true in our homes. If we let things get overcrowded, if we let other things have our first priority, it will draw our hearts and our families away from what God wants. It's a fact. It's proven time and time again. So like Joshua, I invite you dads to say this, over my dead body. That's what Joshua's saying here. Over my dead body will I let anything or anyone have priority in my home over God, in my children's lives, in my wife's life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The promise is this. When we remain steadfast, when we remain committed to this deeper responsibility, we embrace this deeper process, what flows into our lives is actually a deeper joy. A deeper joy. A father is marked by a deeper joy. It's sweeter because it requires sacrifice. Have you ever noticed that when you work hard at something, the payoff is just that much better? Anybody noticed this before? When you pour your heart and soul and your mind, your life and everything into something, when it works out, you're just like, it's, it's that much better. It's that much better. See, every generation accuses the next generation of something. So I know you all know it's true because I hear it. It says this, yeah, you don't value that because you didn't earn it. You didn't work for it, right? You don't value your college education because you're not paying for it, whatever. You didn't sacrifice. It was handed to you. So you just don't get it, right? We say this to every subsequent generation. So we get it. When you sacrifice for something, when you work hard at it, when it takes you on that deep process, there is a sweeter joy that awaits Let's be honest, dads, you know that you have probably threatened this week to send your kids back to the Stone Age so they can appreciate how good they have it. It's probably just me. When we sacrifice the way we're called to, when we step up to the plate of this responsibility, we give ourselves up for our wives, our families, our children, carefully and intentionally, patiently, removing the thorns, not allowing any idols in our homes, Even when it's not popular, the joy of seeing the good news take root in the hearts of our children is worth it. It's worth it. Proverbs 23, 24 says this, Father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. Amen? See, a father won't simply sit back and watch their child go from A to B 
Father is not content to just be a guardian or a teacher. We are committed at a deeper level to a daily thing. We are committed to stick at it for the long haul and embrace this responsibility. And because it costs us, and it costs us dearly, the joy that promises is waiting for us is so much sweeter. Let's look at the end of the parable once more. Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Jesus says this, There is a harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold as much has been planted. Our part is to take care of the soil, dads. Our part is to take care of that which God has entrusted to us in our homes and our families and the lives of our children. That's what we have to do. That's our job to come along and say, I'm getting rid of thorns. I'm making sure God is first priority. Our job is to take care of the soil, to embrace that deep process, that deep responsibility. So we refuse to withdraw. We refuse to be passive dads or absentee fathers. We do our parts and we trust that God will do his part in our families as well. Amen. You can count on him and you can expect a joyful harvest is what Jesus is promising. And guess what? When you see what God has in store in your homes and in the lives of your children, you'll never miss those thorns. You'll never miss and go, oh man, I wish I had done more of that. You'll never miss it because you will have more than enough. So dads, we've got work to do. I want to challenge you today. Ask these honest questions. Take a look at your schedule. Take inventory and see what's first priority. Amen? We've got work to do. And as you leave today, dads, out on the table, we got a gift for you. And it looks like this. Actually, not bad. Uh, they're, they're pretty good uh, in terms of work gloves. I don't know if they'll stop thistles, just being honest. But those things are crazy. But we got a gift for you. All the dads, they're not bad. If you, if you need some work gloves, make sure you grab some. And I hope, my, my prayer is that every time you use them, dads, it will remind you, it will remind me, that it is hard work that we commit our lives to as fathers. It's hard work. But it's important work and it matters very, very much. It's holy work that we do. Amen? Amen? So fathers, dads, granddads, dads to be, future someday dads, people who hope they can be a dad, grab some gloves. All right, we got lots of them. And remember to tend the soil of your heart. Remember to tend the soil of your home. And I want to say this as well. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. Today I want to make you a standing invitation, dads. Starting in July, on Sunday mornings, before anything happens, before service begins at 9.30, plenty of time, I want to get together with dads. I want to make a standing invitation to you today. You know, whether you have kids in the home and you're trying to figure out this crazy world, whether you've already raised kids, we need to hear from you. You see, faithful adults that you have raised, come and join us. We need to pray together. We need to be there for each other, hear each other, give advice there's wisdom that we need to uh, be together and be mining from each other. It's an opportunity to mentor and be mentored. So come on, guys. Let's be fathers together. Amen? Amen. If you're serving that week, if you're bringing your kids with you, we'll figure it out. Just don't do it alone. Don't do fatherhood alone. Let's do this together. It's something that God has put on my heart for a while. Something that I value, I believe, is so, so important because dads are important. Amen? Amen? We know that. And you're more important to me than so many other things that hit my schedule. So dads, if you've been 
doing this alone. Don't be a stranger. Let us pray. Let's lift this burden together. I need this every single day. I got to lean on dads. I lean on Brant more than most. <laughs> you know, my number is on the back of the bulletin. So grab one today. And if you can't make it on Sundays, give me a call. Tell me where you're at. I'll come find you. Because this is important. This is vital. Don't do fatherhood alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're not alone. We're with you. And more importantly than that, God is with you as you raise your kids to fear him. God is with you and he's not going anywhere. As you do your best to follow him, he's going to help you. He's going to bear the weight of fatherhood, the challenges of fatherhood with you. And he's going to bring that harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. So stay the course. Keep going. It's not about perfection. Just be present and committed. Amen? Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.